It's time for Nashville Sounds Baseball. Franklin Barreto hits a two-run homer. Matt Chapman has done it again with the glove. Garneau lines a base, hits a left. Sounds win. An amazing play by Joey Wendell. It's over. The Sounds have done it. The Nashville Sounds are division champions. Matt Olson with his second two-run homer of the night. What a finish at First Tennessee Park. Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff Hem. And welcome back to another edition of Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. Jeff Hem back with you, and as we tape this today, the Sounds are in Round Rock, Texas, taking on the Round Rock Express, although in this five-game series and for another one next month in Nashville, it's the Honky Tonks against the Dance Halls as the second annual battle for the boot has been renewed. The Sounds here in the Lone Star State for a few days out on the road, and today on the podcast, we catch up with Sounds pitching coach Rick Rodriguez, or as just about everybody around the ball club and around the A's would call him, it's Rick Rod. And Rick has been with the A's for a long time, both as a player and as a coach. This is his 34th season with the green and gold. Most of that time and most of the last several years, he's been their AAA pitching coach, both in Sacramento and now with the Sounds during this affiliation in Nashville. Rick is one of the funniest guys you could be around. He's one of the nicest guys you could be around. And the pitchers always love pitching for him. He's got the ideal personality to handle life at AAA, where there are roster moves all the time. He's got the temperament to handle that. You ask anybody around the A's about Rick Rod, and they'll have great things to say. So Rick Rodriguez is our guest. Again, we remind you to go to NashvilleSounds.com podcast. For all the links and information about this podcast, and please find us in iTunes by searching Nashville Sounds and or Rounding Third. You can listen to the podcast there, give it a nice rating, and they'll download automatically for you if you subscribe. And we'll continue to have these as the season unfolds and then into the offseason as well. Here is this episode of the Nashville Sounds Rounding Third podcast with Sounds pitching coach Rick Rodriguez. Rick Rod, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Sounds podcast, a new venture for us. And Fran Reardon was my first guest. And as I was telling you, it's a chance to talk about some of the things about you and your career that don't really come up when I have you on the pregame show on the radio broadcast over the course of the season, talking more about kind of the X's and O's and the guys on the field. So first of all, in the time that I've known you, I don't know if I've ever heard very many people just call you Rick. It's either Rod or Rick Rod or Ricky. Was there somebody that started that somewhere along the line? Because to me, you've always just been Rick Rod. I think that's just in, in baseball. When your last name is Rodriguez, it's always Rod. And the first time I heard it, I think I was like 13 or 14 in the coach. Hey, Rod, Rod. And I go, no, my name is Rick. He goes, that's just a nickname. I'm like, oh, okay. And just kind of stuck. And, you know, some guys have always called me Rod or Ricky Rod, and that's fine. You've been with the A's for a long time, and as a coach, most of your time has been as a AAA pitching coach, where I feel like you have the perfect personality to handle that job, because I don't have to tell you, there are plenty of times during the year where you don't always know who your starting pitcher is gonna be maybe 48 hours from then, or you know, there's roster moves seemingly every day, and you always just seem to 
roll with it, if not to a weird degree, enjoy it. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I've learned that, uh, you know, they're going to take who they're going to take. And uh, before it kind of bothered me. Now it's like, hey, do you want them? Take them. Let's get the next guy in here and then we go. And it's uh, it is. It's kind of fun. It's a challenge. And uh, I like it. And like I said, uh, it really doesn't bother me anymore. I think it's a great opportunity for these guys to go up, uh, especially a late call. Boom. Hey, you, you're going up. And they're like, OK, great. <laughs> As your playing career was was winding down, did you start to think about coaching as something that you wanted to do, or did you sort of fall into it? I was thinking about it a little bit. Um, it was either that or become a you know police officer, and I think my mom was happy when I chose coaching, so that was a good thing. But uh, yeah, it was either one of those two. And I think the last couple three years, I was thinking about you know what I wanted to do. I had a family just starting, and uh, uh, just I, I wanted something stable, and I saw coaching as a way to be be like that. You had some time in the big leagues in the late 80s and into the 90s. You were with the A's uh, for the most part, but also Cleveland and the Giants. What are some of the things that you think about from your own playing career, either the pride factor of getting to the big leagues or do you feel like, you know, you wish things had gone differently? How, how do you think back on your personal on your playing time as a, as a pitcher? Um, you know, I have no regrets. I gave it my best shot and I came back from an injury to my shoulder. Uh, it took a couple of years before I could come back really pitching competitively. And, um, you know, I just look at it that way. And I learned how to pitch in those couple of years when I was hurt. And, uh, you know, I was out of the game for a little bit, had an opportunity to come back with the Giants, pitch good at their AAA team and uh, made it up to the big league. So I know what it's like to be out in the working world getting another opportunity to come back, put on a uniform, and, and eventually getting back to the big leagues. And, uh, you know, I try to tell these guys what it's like, and uh, hopefully they, they listen. I've got to think that's one way you can easily relate to these guys because you did get to the big leagues, and then you had your share of time at AAA too. Yeah, so I know what AAA is all about, and I think that's one of the big reasons why I'm, I do well here is because I understand the player. I know what they're going through at this level. I've been through injuries, so I know what they're going through uh, if they are coming back from injuries. So um, it's definitely a different game, different time now than when I came up. A lot more information uh, and and techniques and, and uh, sabermetrics and all that stuff. So it's uh, trying to get uh, my old school with my new school and combining the both. Based on what you threw and how you worked, what would a scouting report on Rick Rodriguez look like from the current Rick Rod? Oh, I don't even want to try and go there. <laughs> <laughs> Just, to, I know, I, at first, when I first signed, I was like a power pitcher. I throw forcing fastball as hard as I could and a curveball. I didn't have a changeup. Learn how to pitch, got uh, a sinker slider, a little bit of a changeup. So I think the scouts would just say, hey, so, you know, uh, uh, back in rotation guy, maybe a, a long reliever in, in the big leagues out of the bullpen because uh, you can throw strikes, get ground balls. The, uh, the bio tells me you managed at Class A Modesto in 2003. Did you like managing? Yeah, I did. I thought it was fun. I always wanted to try managing, and uh, you know, Keith gave me an opportunity to do that. And I was the—it was weird. I was the first coach in Modesto history to play in Modesto, to be a pitching coach, and to manage. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of interesting. But uh, you know, it was fun. And then I had the opportunity to go back to AAA as a pitching coach, so I, I took that. Of the different levels, what do you like most about AAA? I know there are some challenges, like we talked about, and all the roster moves. But what do you also really like about this level? I just like it because you know you're close to the big leagues and you try and get these guys to understand 
what it, they need to do to get to the big leagues. Um, you know, in A-ball, it's still, there's still a few years away, you know, so you're more into routine stuff. But here, it's taking the individual, taking what they do well, and expanding on that, learning how to watch the hitters, how to set up hitters, how to, you know, look at the scouting reports, and basically make adjustments on the fly right during the game, too. You know, you go in plan A, hey, it's not working, we go to plan B. And if the hitters are adjusting to you, you got to be able to do something. So I, I, I find that challenging. I asked Fran Reardon this question about being a manager. Like, what for him really gets the juices flowing? What's sort of the most exciting part of the job? What is it for you? Is it is it seeing a guy, uh, you know, maybe learning a new pitch, and then all of a sudden it clicks and he becomes dominant with that? Like, is that one of the joys of the job when something like that occurs? Honestly, I think it's when they execute the game plan that you're going in. You know, they're able to, uh, whatever it is, uh, establish a fastball or being able to use change-ups behind in the count. Uh, you know, like when we had uh, Milburn here, he was able to use his change-up very effectively. Bo Taylor did a great job, and that was the fun part um, in watching a young kid pitch at this level and having success is, is to watch that, and you could see it in his face and his excitement. You alluded to this earlier because of the length of time that you've had this job, but how has your job as, let's use this current job, a AAA pitching coach, how different is it from some of your early years in terms of like the technology and some of the information you have at your disposal or literally how you have to do the job with filling out a report and things like that? I mean, your first year as a coach or a, a manager, did you even travel with a computer? I didn't even know what a computer was, <laughs> <laughs> but that was a big thing because we used to have to fax in a game report. And, you know, I'll be honest, I don't have the best penmanship and trying to write in a little box was very challenging. So when we got a computer, it was great. And just sit there and type it out. And I knew how to type. So that was even better. But, uh, you know, I look back on my first few years as a triple A pitching coach, as opposed to now, uh, I think the players now at this level are more open to suggestions they're more uh you know they want to get to the big leagues just like they did back then but they are willing to try a few more things uh learn some more stuff watch some more video back then we didn't have the uh, little vhs tapes and you know guys didn't watch video the scouting reports weren't as good as as we can do now um uh, the training isn't as good as you know as far as uh, strength and conditioning and the athletic training keeping your arm care so you know it's a big advantage now than it was back then. It was almost not throwing the balls out on the field, but you can only go on what you did against that team because you had no way to see what they were doing in the last five games. So that was tough. So would you get, after you'd fax those in, would you get phone calls saying you have to rewrite this? Like whoever was getting it couldn't read it? <laughs> the worst part, when I, I had a lot of whiteouts, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that helped. But uh, no, I really didn't get any phone calls. And you know, if they did, I just talk to them but uh, that was a hard part was a faxing because that was really really tough and I'm so happy we have the computer and each coach has his own computer so you know after the game you get back in there and uh, I get the charts from the guy who's charting up in the stands and I can enter all the information and then um, Eric Martins enters in all the hitting information so we don't have to wait uh, for one computer mm -hmm. which is really nice. Biggest commonality among big league pitchers who can hang up there and guys who sometimes either don't get there or are, are floating back and forth in their career. What what typically would be one of the first thing that's going to separate some guys up there? I think, honestly, it's, and I told this to Brett Anderson when he was here, it's confidence. I mean, the guys at this level, they have the stuff to pitch at the major league level, okay? But a lot of it is how do you handle it when you go up there? And Brett was a very confident guy, and I see the guys that have, 
gone up there and stayed up there like a Sonny Gray when he was here he went up all the confidence in the world yeah yeah great stuff but I've seen guys that have very good stuff here that go up that just don't hang out so I think it's a big confidence issue once you get up there believing that you can pitch and you can stay there ultimately I don't know how to ask this does it does it matter what pitches a guy throws I feel like if you take the last 20 years it is an example there's sort of the cutter became all the rage and then people started to talk more about change-ups and there's a lot written about how much the Astros throw curveballs like is there at the end of the day this may not be the best way to ask it but does it matter in other words if whatever I throw if I throw it really well does it matter what you may throw or what you may want me to throw Honestly, I think it's whatever the pitcher's strength is, okay. uh, especially on the off-speed pitch, whether he's got a great curveball, slider, changeup, split. I think you take that pitch and you learn how to exploit the hitter's weakness with that pitch. Um, and I know, yeah, the Astros do a lot of sliders. Uh, you know, we believe in change-ups, which I think is a great thing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, hey, you have to execute your pitch, whether it's a fastball or a breaking pitch, whatever it is, you have to be able to execute that on a con, um, consistent basis. And if you don't, you're not going to be around very long. Does the changeup become so important simply because everybody throws a fastball, which means then everybody can find a way to complement the fastball with a changeup? Yeah, I mean, you have to destroy the hitter's timing, and I think the changeup does that. I mean, uh, guys that have good swing and miss changeups usually have really good arm speed, and it has like a little late sink or fade to it. Those are the nasty changeups. And um, I've seen, uh, you know, I had Dallas Braden here, and he had one of the best change-ups, i.e. screwball, whatever it was, and that thing was dirty, and hitters just couldn't, couldn't uh, lay off of it. It looked just like a fastball, and it would drop. So I think it's just as effective as any breaking ball. In your time coaching, and I know these, these questions are not always easy to answer because you're worried about forgetting somebody, but who are a handful of guys who still come right to mind for you as some of just the, the nastiest pitchers that you coach. And it doesn't have to be a guy who became a longtime big leader. I know in the coaching world, sometimes you see a guy who had the stuff, he just couldn't stay healthy, and sometimes those guys make the list. But who comes to mind for you? Who are some of the nastiest guys? Uh, you know, I was fortunate. My first, I think it was my first year in Modesto being a pitching coach. I had Tim Hudson. He comes right to mind. He came right out of Auburn, and he was dirty. He had a great fastball. It was moving. He had a great split. He had a fork ball. He had a breaking ball. I mean, he wasn't there very long because he was so good. But he was one of the guys, you know, I had Barry Zito in Sacramento. Uh, he was very good at Dallas Braden in Sacramento. Uh, obviously, he was very good. Um, some of the later guys uh, had, um, you know, Manaya, just uh, Gossett. I mean, those guys that are up there. Paul Blackburn, I mean, he's hurt now, but I had him. I thought he was very good. Um, you know, relieving-wise, I uh, had Willie Casilla, first year in Sacramento, first couple years in Sacramento. You know, he was really good. One guy that comes to mind was a guy, Chad Harville, who had a blistering fastball and slider. Um, you know, he was a guy that was up and down, and I really liked him. But, uh, you know, if I'm forgetting somebody, <laughs> that's because I've had a lot. But, yeah, there's been some really, really good pitchers that come through uh, Oakland's AAA. What about from your playing days, either guys you played with or you watched on the other side? Oh, man, there was a lot of guys. Uh, you know, coming up my first year in the big leagues, I would – there was a veteran team, so I was in there with uh, like Dusty Baker, Dave Kingman, uh, Tony Bernazard, uh, and then young guys, McGuire and Conseco were just coming up. So it was a good mix of, you know, the old veteran guys. I had Joaquin Andahar, who I kind of listened to. I was a locker right next to him, and he was teaching me a lot about pitching in the big leagues. 
reliever, Moose Haas, who used to be with the Brewer, was teaching me about being in reliever and how to change speed. So it was great being up there with the, the older veteran guys that taught you how to pitch a little bit at that level. Part of the, the fun of these is sort of the behind-the-scenes stuff that fans don't always think about or see about. And you've been in the Pacific Coast League a lot, so you've been to every ballpark. Now, you live near the one in Sacramento, so take the geography of the convenience of close to home out of it for a second. What are some of your favorite stops around the Pacific Coast League? And I preface this because people ask me this. It's not always about how, how beautiful the ballpark is. Sometimes it's, it's food-related. It uh, it's hotel-related. So what are some things for you that factor into your favorite PCL stop? Well, I'll tell you what. What I learned from Walt Horn, our old trainer, it's, he told me this. It's not whether you win or lose. <laughs> it's how fast you play the game and what seed afterwards. So, you know. Uh, being around the league, there's some great places. Um, Moochie's comes to mind in Salt Lake yes. City. Gotta love Salt Lake City with Moochie's. Um, Albuquerque, uh, there's, uh, I, I can't, we only go there every other year, so I'm trying to remember the restaurants. There's some good ones there. El Paso's got great restaurants. Both those have great ballparks, so those are my favorite places to go. Um, obviously, you know, Nashville, they got great food places there. So, um, uh, other than that, uh, my favorite parks. Uh, what about some stops that maybe aren't in the league anymore? Because I have, I was not in the PCL, and I don't know how often you would travel to those spots from where you were, but a few cities that are, are no longer in the league that probably were fun to go to. I love going to Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, the ballparks were older ballparks. I thought they were fair, but also they had great food. So I guess I kind of preface things on where to eat in this league. Yeah, you, because that's really what it comes down to, right? I mean, never mind that the fact that in Albuquerque it's really easy to hit, so your pitchers are not loving it. That You, you don't list Albuquerque because it's going to be a 10-9 to 9 game. Oh, no, i got to eat there. I mean, there's some great restaurants downtown. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, like, they don't have the Canadian team. Vancouver was a great place to go, very clean city. Uh, I love pitching there it was a great pitchers ballpark uh, actually I like going to Tacoma it's an older ballpark but it's a pitchers park but they got great seafood down in the water so part of radio is painting the picture we've done this interview in these wonderful rocking chairs beyond the outfield berm uh, in the left field corner here in Round Rock so I just want fans to know if you get ejected in this series I think we're finding out why yeah, I love this view. This is so comfortable. This is why I wish we had, we had Chris Smith back here. He could be the pitching coach for today. I could just come up here and watch the game. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, that's Nashville Sounds pitching coach Rick Rodriguez. Rick Rod, thanks again for being with us on this edition of the Nashville Sounds podcast, Rounding Third. This is Jeff Hem. We'll talk with you again next time. Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds Baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcast. Oh.